Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, this morning we're going to be continuing with our series of celebrating characters. But before we go all into that, a few months ago, it was back in April, we had a family wedding. And I love family weddings because I get to catch up with all my cousins. And one cousin in particular, Adam, I saw him and we got chatting. And I said to him, Adam, I said, you're looking really good. He'd got a shirt on and a waistcoat and he actually married my cousin that got married that day. I said, you're looking great, Adam. I thought you've probably made an extra special effort because he's marrying my cousin. And he said, wow, that was it. When I said, you're looking good, he said, my life's been changed. I said, what do you mean? He said, have you heard of Joe Wicks? And I was like, no. And he proceeded to take his phone out and show me a video of Joe Wicks. Give me a wave if anybody here has heard of Joe Wicks. We've got a few on the front. Right, well, let me introduce you to Joe Wicks. Joe Wicks, 18 months ago, two years ago, was virtually unheard of. He was a personal body trainer, helping people with their fitness and health. And he started getting a huge following on Facebook and Twitter and online and his following grew and grew and he started becoming more and more well-known and now he's on a lot of TV shows, loads of stuff. What's he all about? Well, Joe Wicks is all about eating healthy, enjoying your food at the same time and getting fit and my cousin did something called Joe Wicks' 90-day challenge where Joe says, give me 90 days, I'll teach you how to eat healthy, I'll show you how to get fit by doing like 10 minute blasts of these workouts four times a week, and my cousin, it worked for him. He lost weight, he got trim, he was eating like coconut oil, it was fried everything in coconut oil, nothing else, eating loads of protein, no fat, and he looked good on it didn't he and he felt good and he looked good so I thought I've got to have a little look at this Joe online the moms at school are talking about him probably because he's a good looking chap as well so you're in for a treat today are you ready are you ready are you ready feast your eyes on this we're going to watch a few seconds of Joe cooking So that is one of Joe's 30-second cooking lessons. It's very quick. You have to take your breath. But basically, he gives you a whole host of recipes where you can eat good food but still enjoy it, and it's really good for you. And I went on his Facebook page, and the opening line on his Facebook page says this, word for word. This is Joe Wicks talking. I'm a man on a mission to rescue people from the awful dieting industry. I'm sick and tired of people struggling on low-calorie diets and meal replacement shakes. 
And then Joe goes on to talk about his 90-day challenge. But the truth is, Joe, he really is on a mission. His mission is to get people eating healthy, getting fit, and losing weight, if that's what they want to do as well. He's a man on a mission. But actually, you're on a mission. I'm on a mission. Maybe your mission is to lose weight. But the truth is, we know if we sit home on the sofa every night eating a bag of tortillas, we're not going to accomplish our mission. Maybe your mission is to really advance in your field, in your career. Maybe you want to advance that you get promoted and you reach the highest level in your career. Maybe your mission is to raise a good family, bring up your children, get them to school on time, get three square meals a day prepared. Maybe your mission is looking after your home, looking after your possessions, looking after your bank account. We're all on a mission. All of us are on a mission. Whether we see it like that or realise it, we're all on some sort of mission. And today, we're going to look at a character in the Bible that was certainly on a mission. She knew what she was about. She knew what she had to do. And she was going to go for it. So we're going to, in a moment, we're going to have a look in the book of Judges. But before we go in there this morning, it's really important for me to give you a little bit of background about what's happening in the book of Judges. So we find the Israelites, they're God's people, in a bad place. They are not doing well. Moses, their great leader, had died. Joshua, their courageous leader, had took over and he'd wholeheartedly said, let's keep following the Lord. And things were doing good. Joshua had died. And now the Israelites are stuck in a bad cycle. They're stuck in some bad repetition. Anybody here know what it's like to get stuck in a bad cycle? It's easy. We can give them a hard time, the Israelites, but we do it ourselves. We can get stuck in bad cycles. So their bad cycle was this. They would forget about God. They'd say, I'm going to do it my own way. And they'd go off and they'd do their own thing. Usually a lot of bad things, a lot of sin. And then their enemies would then come and take captivity of them. They'd be oppressed by their enemies. Their crops would be taken. They'd be fighting with their enemies. They'd go into slavery. And then suddenly they'd think, how have we got here? Then they'd cry out to God, God, we're so sorry. Sounds like you and me sometimes. Please come and help us. Rescue us. We won't do it again. We promise, we promise. And because God is so compassionate and he loved his people so much, he said, okay, I'm going to send you a man. I'm going to send you a woman who's going to come and deliver you and who's going to lead you. And this is where we find ourselves in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we read of about six major judges, six people that God raised up to help the Israelites because they kept getting in this bad cycle, this repetition of bad behaviour. 
And today we're looking at one particular judge. So come with me, if you've got your Bible, to Judges chapter 4. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 5. If you haven't got your Bible, don't worry. It's going to be on the screens. And we're going to jump in here. Judges chapter 4. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harishoth, Haggion. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, And for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess at that time, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. We're going to pause it there. So what's going on? The people are being oppressed. 20 years of oppression. The king, the commander, he's got 900 chariots. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. He's a strong man. And they're being oppressed. And they're crying out to God, please God, we're here again. We've done our own thing. Please help us. And in verse 4, we meet a lady called Deborah. So what do we know about Deborah? Well, we've got really limited information. She's a prophetess. So she's obviously got some sort of calling from God on her life. She's married. We don't know if she's got children. And she's the only judge who is a female in the whole of the book of Judges. What is she doing? Well, the Bible says she's sitting under a tree and the Israelites are coming to her and she's judging them. Maybe they're coming to Deborah and they're saying, Deborah, I've fallen out with so-and-so. They've said this to me. What should we do? Sort it out, Deborah. Maybe they're coming up to Deborah because they're saying, we don't really know God's ways anymore. Deborah, can you tell us what to do? Whatever the many situations, Deborah was judging the people. They were coming to her for guidance and for help. Now, interestingly, Deborah's name in Hebrew means bee. And Deborah really, I think, is living up to our phrase today, busy as a bee. Deborah would have been busy under the palm tree. All the Israelites, they would have had a lot of issues. You take your issues and multiply them by thousands. And that was the level Deborah was working on. She certainly was as busy as a bee. But why was she doing what she was doing? Why was she judging under the tree? Well, I've already said that she probably sensed God's call on her life 
Maybe God had given her a special gift of wisdom to try and help sort out the disputes. But whatever Deborah was like, and whatever she found herself under the tree, it all boils down to one thing. And this is my big idea where we're going to be going to today. You must position for mission. Deborah positioned herself to do something. She positioned herself for her mission. How did she do that? Well, she made herself available. She was available. She went and she sat under the palm tree. If someone is sitting under a tree waiting for people, they're making themselves available. They're there. People know I can go to that person. Deborah also stepped into the gap. There was no leader. It was a mess. The Israelites were in a bad way. Deborah stepped into the gap. She thought there's a need. These people need leading. These people need God's truth. I'm going to step in and I'm going to do what I can do under the tree. And Deborah, she just got on with what was in front of her. She came, became busy with what was in front of her. Maybe under the tree, just a few people started coming. Maybe it was just five people. Maybe it was ten people. Maybe the following week she had 15 people come and see her. Maybe word got out, there's a great woman under the tree called Deborah, she'll help you. Maybe it became 15, became 50, 50 became 100, but she had to start somewhere. She made herself available, she came busy, became busy with what was in front of her and she stepped into the gap. You're still with me? Sounding good. It's going to get even better. Hold on. So we're going to carry on reading. We're going to jump back in at verse 6 and we're going to go down to verse 13. So Deborah's under the tree and here's what happens in verse 6. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in the Nephali and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor with you, 10,000 men of the sons of Nephali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand." And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Nephali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, 
had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the Terebinth tree at Zanian, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harisheth Hagiam to the river Kishon. We're just going to pause to get into context. We've got 10,000 men with Barak and one woman. And they're fighting against 100,000 fighters and 900 iron chariots. Twice we've already heard about these 900 chariots. They were looking pretty invincible. And Deborah's saying, come on then, Barak. Me, you and the 10,000 men, are we ready to take them on? The odds are seriously stacked. It's not looking like it's going to be a pretty ending for Deborah, Barak and the 10,000 men. But let's read on from verse 14 to see what happens. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harisheth, Hagiam, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, not a man was left. Now let me pull that story apart a bit, because some of it gets lost in translation, because what really happened we find in the next chapter in Judges 5, which is a song of Deborah, which really tells us more about what happened. So we've got Barak, 10,000 men and one woman, against 100,000 fighters, 900 chariots. And what happens in the account is they go down near a river called the River Kishon, and you'll see that mentioned a few times. And in Deborah's song, she explains to us, as she's singing with Barak, that God sent a hailstorm, which was such a fierce hailstorm, it blinded the eyes of their enemies. And the river Kishon that they're near, it turned it into a mud hole. So guess what happened to the chariots? It's sounding a bit like the Red Sea with Moses. The 900 chariots were completely eaten up in the river Kishon. They were swallowed. These chariots, which seemed invincible, not a problem for the river Kishon and God. They were gone. And all the other fighters that were left on foot, we read there that Barak and his 10,000 men, probably with the fire of God thinking, whoa, God is actually with us. This woman was right. They took all the others with a sword, man on man, and not one person was left, apart from 
Sisera, the commander of the army who runs away. Now, unfortunately, time does not allow me to tell you what happened to Sisera. But all I will say is it was another woman that came in that God used and he did not have a pretty ending. Find out. Read it. Read it. When you get home, it's the rest of the chapter. Judges 4, find out what happened to Sisera because it's too good to miss. But right at the end of the chapter, skipping all the way down to verses 23, it says this. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. You see, because Deborah chose to position for mission, three significant results came. Three significant things happened. And the first one is this. Compassion must produce action. You see, Deborah had compassion for the people. She couldn't have sat under a tree with no aircon, no Wi-Fi, no cappuccino machines if she didn't really have compassion for the people. She felt for their need. She felt for their need. But also she knew of the atrocities that were happening along the rest of the nation, that the rest of the Israelites were going through some hard times of oppression Your compassion must produce action. Who do you see in your world who needs help, who needs something? Maybe it's down your road. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's work colleagues. Maybe it's people on your courses that you see them and you feel a sense of compassion. You feel a drawing to that person. Who's in your world Where are the gaps that you see? Where you think, it'd be great if that could start off for that group of people. But there's nothing happening. There's no one with the same desire as me. I see gaps, I see voids, I see things that could be done. Where do you have a sense of compassion towards? Because all of us will have stirrings in our heart for something. All of us will be gripped for something, but your compassion must produce action. See, compassion with no action is the same as having a car and never turning on the engine. Have you seen my car? It's ever so nice. I never drive it. I never even turn the ignition on, but it's ever so nice. It goes ever so fast, you know. Ever so economical but I don't use it. Compassion without action is just pure emotion. It's just, oh, that's a shame. What's for dinner? Our compassion has got to be backed up by action or it's just emotion. It's just goodwill. I hope that person gets better and finds their way. I hope someone tells them about Jesus. Really busy. I better get down the shops now. Compassion needs action. Deborah had the compassion, but boy, did she have the action 
to back it up with. Second, action means leaving comfort. Oh, hold on. We're really going to go in now. Not going to hold back no punches now. Deborah was busy sitting under a palm tree. She was busy. There would be no doubt about her schedule would have been full. See, Deborah could have chosen to remain under the palm tree. Maybe once she got into it and she found a routine, maybe it was challenging, yes, but she could have decided, I'm going to stay here. And even though it was extremely important what Deborah was doing, she knew there's a whole nation out there that's in slavery, that's been oppressed, maybe they're being hurt, maybe they're being abused, no one's giving them the word of God, but I'm under my tree, and what I'm doing is ever so important. But something rose up in Deborah that thought, I can't stay under the tree. I can't do it. There's something else, there's something bigger. Why we reach, she called Barak, come on Barak, what are you playing at? God's already said, go down there. He's going to give you the victory. See, Deborah could have made an excuse that she was too busy. Yet, yet, we need to throw the yets in our life. The majority of us are busy. The majority of us have busy schedules and demands and things to do. Yet, she knew when the call of God came, she knew when she felt that compassion that needed to learn lead, lead to action, she knew, I've got to leave the palm tree, I've got to leave the familiarity, and I've got to go with this dude, Barak, who probably doesn't even believe in himself, and 10,000 men, because God's got something even bigger for us to do. You see, action means leaving comfort. Hang on a minute. I don't like leaving comfort. Let's just be honest. Let's get it out there on the table and speak plainly to each other. We don't like leaving our comfort. We like familiarity. We like things that we know. We don't like leaving comfort. But often God is asking us, are you willing? Are you willing for your action to take you out of your comfort? Because I've got something even bigger for you. You see, comfort's dangerous because we become familiar. We can stop growing. We can start stagnating. Action rarely becomes buddies with comfort. Action and comfort don't get on. They've got two different missions. See, maybe you're in a good place this morning. Maybe you're doing good things. But maybe you've become too comfortable. And maybe deep down you know it. And maybe deep down you know that the Spirit of God is wanting to move you on into something different, something bigger, something more challenging. You're not in a bad place and you're not a bad person doing anything wrong. But God's just saying, I've got more for you. It's time to leave the place of comfort. 
See, leaving comfort might mean trying something for the first time. Taking a risk on an idea which could either go disastrously wrong or the breath of God might be all over it. And it might do even more than what you dare to imagine. Action is stepping in to the gaps and leaving the comfort zones. And this morning I look around and I'm speaking to the family. I'm speaking to people here that are every week, people that are partners, people that are regular. And friends, we've got a lot of gaps, a lot of people that we need to set, who want to say, I'm ready for some action. I'm ready to leave my comfort and step into some action. Just really specific to quickly throw some things out. In autumn, we're going to be launching the CAP course, which we're so passionate about. A life skill course for everybody in the community who wants to be on board with that. We need people to leave their comfort and to step in the gap. We need people who will say, I'll be a welcomer, I'll cook some food, I'll lay some tables, I'll be a group leader, I'll just help fold some sheets of paper that need folding. We need people who are willing to step in. Next few weeks, we're going to see around about half a dozen people move on to new seasons, which is fantastic. But guess what? They're leaving gaps. They're leaving gaps. Those gaps need filling. Those gaps need filling. And if you don't fill those gaps, who else is going to fill those gaps? That's being plainly honest, friends, because we're family. Where have we got gaps? We've got gaps on Sunday stars. We go down to 50% of the staffing that we've got now from 100. We've got gaps in little treasures. We've got big gaps on the AV team. We've got gaps in hospitality. Action means leaving the comfort and stepping in to where the need is. And finally, as I bring it to a close, faith brings freedom. Deborah's faith brought freedom to a nation. In Judges 5.31, it tells us that after they won that battle, the land rested for 40 years. Deborah's faith brought freedom, not just to 10, 15, 20 people. Her faith brought freedom to an entire nation. Your faith brings freedom. Your faith. Your faith brings freedom. Your faith will bring freedom to people on your street, people you work with, mums in a school playground. Your faith brings freedom. But what's your next step? What are you going to do about it? Compassion without action, not going to take us anywhere. But what's your next step? How is your faith going to bring freedom to other people? And as a church, you've probably noticed by many things, we're intentionally positioning ourselves for mission because we want our faith to bring freedom. We're redoing our website. Why? 
because we want it to bring freedom. We want people to connect to the website. We want to put more chairs out. Why? Because we want to do it in faith, believing that as we make room, God will bring and God will extend. We want to partner with food bank, night shelters, cap course, little treasures. Why? Because we want our faith to bring freedom to people's lives. This is what it's about. If it's not about this, we might as well pack up and go on home and have a barbie every Sunday instead. Because we're here to bring freedom to people's lives. That's what the church is here for. That's what the hope. You as an individual, you're here to bring freedom. Us as a gathering, as a group, the church, we're here to bring freedom. My final thought, Deborah sat down under the tree to judge the people. But she stood up to deliver the people. She sat down to judge. She stood up to deliver. She positioned herself for mission. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says this. Well-known passage. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Friends, Jesus has done it all. Can't do anything else. It's all over to you. It's all over to me. It's all over to us. Are you going to step in? Is your compassion going to produce action? Is your action going to take you out of comfort? And is your faith going to bring freedom to the lives of many people that need him? I pray we'll be like Deborah. Even in the face of opposition, we'll have the Deborah spirit that says, we can do this. We can do this. Our God's with us. I'm going to change my position. I'm going to get ready for all that God's got for me because if not now, when? If it's not you, who else is it going to be? There's no one better coming. No one behind me. No one better coming than you. There's no one behind you. There's no one better. It's your time and it's your day. God bless. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.